0: One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases. And it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. Let's take the discussion about exercise and inflammation now into a, a slightly different direction, but it's of course it's all related. And what we talked about in the last episode was about exercise intensity. Um, but one, you know, one of the things that that controls exercise intensity is not just your effort and what you're putting into the exercise itself. The other variable is actually the exercise itself. And so when I when I teach about the the neuroendocrine immunology of exercise in my, in my doctor only seminars, I, I kind of have a a bottom line rule that basically says any exercise is better than none. Some exercises are better than others at producing certain outcomes. And I've mentioned in the past that that current exercise science supports that. The main variable that controls the return of what exercise you do, what you get out of it, so to speak, um, is exercise intensity. But we have to be careful about producing too much free radicals and uh, inflammation, right? The metabolic tipping point. So what about exercise modality? Because the, the reality is, is that you're not going to exceed your metabolic capacity if you are doing an exercise to, say, strengthen your fingers, right? That's a very localized and isolated exercise let's say that you had some you know rubber bands twisted around your fingers and you were opening them closing them or curling them you're not going to generate enough force with enough intensity to get your heart rate up to break a sweat (laughs) to get to the point where you're breathing so heavy that you can't carry on a conversation with somebody next to you it's just metabolically impossible because you're dealing with a very localized demand that really doesn't put any demand at all on your global systems. But if we compare that, for example, to, let's say, a squat, where even if you're just using your own body weight and you don't have a bar on your shoulders loaded up with plates or in a squat machine, you're just doing what we call an air squat, which is just standing up and squatting down and standing up and squatting down, With enough repetitions, you can easily get to the point where your heart rate is elevated and you're sweating, and it's difficult to talk because your breathing is is not appropriate. And then, of course, if you add weights to that, or if you do other full-body movements, whether it's burpees or uh, like a clean and jerk in the Olympic movements or if you string exercises together that alternately place a demand on your lower body and your upper body, but you do it without any rest in between, you're going to get a global response. And so what I'm I'm trying to communicate is that when you look at exercise modality, if you are struggling with inflammation and exercise, and you are at the place where you can exercise a little bit, but you can do too much too easily or very easily, then one of the things that you can do is actually choose to do more isolation-type work, which we might term bodybuilding-style exercises, rather than doing full-body exercises, which um, have tremendous benefit and have really become in in vogue or all the rage in the last, say, 10 years or so. So I want to kind of put out there that all exercises have benefit. All exercises, including the low-intensity, low-impact stuff, uh, there was many years ago, and it's still around, but many years ago, there was a a book and then you know several gyms started to open up, mostly in the larger cities. And it was all about um, super slow movements. And so they would use really, really low weight or low resistance. And whatever movement they were doing, they would just move super, super slow. In fact, I think they called it super slow training. And uh, I, I remember back when I was doing chiropractic and we were in a clinic down in, in Sarasota, Florida area. That I had a client who came in who was trying, he was kind of preaching to me because he was a little bit older, had never really had much interest in the gym, um, but he got into the super slow training technique and felt that he was stronger and more stable and more physically capable than he'd ever been in his life, which was fantastic. Part of the reason was the nature of super slow training tends to recruit a lot of muscles because you have to control that same movement for a longer period of time part of it is also because the metabolic demand of super slow training with long contraction times with extremely low weights doesn't put a massive metabolic demand on you and so whatever for whatever reason that gave him results and it didn't didn't allow him to exceed his metabolic capacity he was great he was very happy with the returns that he was getting but you know the point that he was missing Uh, which unfortunately he wouldn't listen to me on, is that at some point, if he wanted to increase his capacity, he was going to have to do something different. He was going to have to lift heavier weights and move the bar faster and that there were benefits to health and wellness to be had by choosing a different exercise modality. Now, it doesn't mean that super slow training is without benefit and merit. It certainly has benefit and merit, but it's not the answer for everything, which you know, usually with marketing, that's kind of how these things are touted. So, you know, wherever you are, whatever you're capable of doing, in fact, whatever your interests are, all exercise has merit. The question is, what are your goals and how do you take your goals and the modalities that you enjoy doing and put enough volume and effort and intensity into it with enough frequency to really start to get some changes? And if you get to the point where you're making changes and and you're not happy with where you are, yet you've tapped out the potential of what you're doing, you have to do something different. In fact, I would say that the most hardcore elite athletes um, change their training regimen in some way on a very frequent basis to prevent their bodies from accommodating. Meaning, you know, you're just, you're so efficient at doing what you've always done that your body's like, okay, well, we've done this before, it doesn't take much effort. And so to get more out of your exercise, you have to change something, whether it's different exercise that trains the same movement or body part or increasing the intensity with more weights or something different right you need novelty of stimulus to continue to get results so think of it this way that the more joints and the more muscle groups you're using in a given exercise the more systemic demand and the more potential you have for driving inflammation and oxidative stress that means that isolated movements like a bicep curl have less of a metabolic demand than a full body movement like a clean and press, taking a barbell from the floor to your shoulders and then pressing it overhead. Because one uses multiple joints and multiple muscles, pretty much every muscle in your body, and the other one just uses one muscle group. So if you want to modulate the demand on your system, then you opt for either less volume and intensity of these compound movements, these big movements, or you opt to break big movements down into isolated movements and you work one joint and one muscle at a time because you're not going to get that much of a systematic or systemic demand. Is there there benefit to adopting a bodybuilding style approach where you just do one joint and one muscle at a time? Absolutely, particularly if it's compared to doing nothing at all. Remember, any exercise is better than no exercise. And even though I'm not a huge fan of low impact type stuff for myself, I enjoy speed and intensity and, you know, all the high level stuff. Even though I don't enjoy it, it's perfectly suited for other people, even sometimes to the point where that's just what they're interested in. Because I'll tell you that no matter how... uh, let's say scientifically correct, an exercise program might be that I put together for someone else. If they if they don't like it, they're going to stop at some point. And that's another variable that we haven't really talked about, which is what are you likely to be able to stay, sustain over long periods of time? It, it does not nobody any good to recommend someone to go to the gym, hire a personal trainer, learn how to lift heavy weights with compound movements using bars and plates rather than machines, if really what they love to do is hike and go outside and be outside for two or three hours. That's just, it's just not going to happen. You might get someone commit to it for a very short period of time if they can sustain it. But sustainability is not just about whether or not you can perform and recover and handle inflammation and oxidative stress. It's really just about, you know, what floats your boat. What do you like to do? The problem comes when what you like to do doesn't give you the return that you're looking for I love to hike My wife and I um, <clears throat> We travel a lot in our RV And we visit places we've never been We like to explore We like to go outside We like to see nature um, And I love a good two, three, four hour hike But I also love to lift weights and, and I can't expect hiking To condition my body And give me the things that I'm interested in um, If the modality itself Is not suited towards that let me get back to my core point and I'll try to close with this idea. If you are looking for a systemic or a global response, and if you are looking to get the most out of exercise, say in a gym setting, with the least amount of effort, and I say least amount of effort, meaning you can do a handful of exercises rather than doing 50 different exercises to hit all of your different body parts then compound movements are are where you should focus. But if you are metabolically compromised and you're part of the inflammation nation, you have to be careful with compound movements because they do present such a demand on your metabolic control. And so what that might mean is that you spend time in the first couple of months learning how to do the movements with technical precision. And this is not about how to do a squat or a deadlift or a clean and press or, you know, whatever the case is. It's just about building concepts and principles in your mind so that you can start making decisions about what would be appropriate for you because you know your situation, I don't. So in that case where you, you have you have poor metabolic control, but you know you want to exercise, you could certainly do compound movements And control the amount of weight that you're using, control the rest periods in between your sets, control the number of repetitions that you use, and you can dial down your volume and intensity using compound movements. You'll get a lot out of it, but you can also control your probability of whether you cross that metabolic tipping point. On the flip side, you could go the other way and say, okay, I might eventually want to get to that point, but my body won't let me yet. So what can I do that I have interest in that will get my body moving and challenge me in a way that is going to give me some benefit with the understanding is that as my capacity improves, I begin to sprinkle in other things. You know, and I thought I was done, but another thought just popped into my mind. You know, there's um, if you go out on the internet, if you're on YouTube, you get bombarded with these ads for different exercise approaches and workout routines and there's kind of like different camps in the world of those who promote exercise. And, and one is that their way of doing things is the only way of doing things, right? You have your, your cardio-holics who spend all their time doing long, slow distance work, like they're on the treadmill walking for two hours, or they're on their stair-stepper, or on an elliptical machine, or whatever the case. So you've got long, slow, low-intensity, long-duration cardio-type work. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you might have power athletes like power lifters or Olympic lifters who do really heavy weights for one or two repetitions with really long rest periods in between. And then you have other people who do kind of a bodybuilding style, but they use just machines and they're going from machine to machine to machine to machine until they cover all their body parts for that day. And then they're done, but they never lift a free weight or do an exercise standing on their own two feet. And then you have the functional type workouts, which, you know, you're using your body weight, maybe it's calisthenics, maybe it's, um, you know, but the bottom line is you're, you're using your body, you're on your own two feet, you're changing positions, you might be on the floor, you might be getting up, maybe you're using kettlebells, maybe you're using dumbbells, but you're doing a mixture of things. And then there are the exercise approaches that blend all of those across time. So you may have periods or days or portions of your workout where you do some cardio-style work. Or maybe you have a portion of your workout where you've been doing most of your work as moderate intensity, but you take five minutes to do some really high-intensity work, but it's short and it's condensed. There's so many different ways that you can manipulate the variables. There really shouldn't be much of an excuse for you not to be engaging in exercise to help yourself get better as long as you follow some simple rules. And rule number one is... Do not exceed your your metabolic capacity and and understand what your capacity is and respect it. Bump up against it, nudge it, support your system with antioxidants and and anti-inflammatory compounds. And as you build your capacity, you will end up doing more with less of a metabolic cost. And if we sprinkle in on top of it things that you enjoy doing, maybe there's room in your mind to spend 80% of your time during the week doing the things that you enjoy, kayaking, hiking, Pilates, whatever the case is. But then you kind of realize, okay, there are things that I could be doing that I'm not really purely interested. It's not my passion. I don't really enjoy it, but I can see the benefit of lifting weights for 20 minutes three times a week. It's not much of a time cost. And as long as you're respecting your body and how it's talking to you and giving you feedback – then blending all of these different disciplines is probably the best approach. Like I said just a moment ago, any exercise is better than none. Some exercise approaches are superior to others. And they tend to, to go towards the high-intensity work, but there's a natural conflict here because if you're part of the inflammation nation, your ability to engage in high-intensity work is compromised. And if you keep pushing it, you're going to make yourself worse. So where do you fall in that spectrum? What can you do to nudge your capacity? How do you support yourself metabolically? And then how how do you put something together for yourself that you're working out at least four days a week for maybe 30, 40 minutes at a time, doing mostly things that you love and you're passionate about and a few things that maybe you're not so thrilled about but you know are going to be good for you. So I've tried to give you some of these rules. Hopefully those practical hints make sense to you. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com. That's Nosworthy.com. To explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.